0: pretend you have an unlimited amount unlimited of money
1: amount.
0: well and, and don't just say oh, i would just hire chef ramsey and call it a day No, i oh, would just hire
1: my mom <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to Deep Thoughts Science and Social Justice, Episode 5. I'm your host, Pardeep, and this is an interview podcast where we take a deep dive into the struggles, triumphs, and personal stories of minorities in the sciences, arts, and public service. The goal of these interviews is to have candid, first person conversations about the role of race, gender, and socioeconomic status in politics, the sciences, and beyond. As you listen to these undocumented experiences, I hope I demonstrate the value of diversity and recognize the inequities that exist in the daily lives of minorities in this country. On this episode, we'll be talking to Tintaine Trin. Tintaine recently graduated with a master of biology from the University of Central Florida. Prior to this, she earned her bachelor's with a double major in biology and neuroscience from Wesleyan University. In her free time, she likes to paint, box, rock climb, and hike, and also plays a mean game of Bananagrams. She wants to use her creativity, love for science, and humor to communicate ideas in a more fun, engaging, and accessible way. Tintin, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: And on this episode, we'll be talking about food. Yes, food. F-O-O-D. And... I can promise you at the end of this, you will be hungry and starving for some delicious ethnic East and South Asian food, some spicy goodness and some curry. So let's talk about food. And, you know, Tintane told me a story once about, and and we're going to sort of expand on this uh, during this podcast. But she told me this hilarious, at the same time, kind of like sad, but hilarious story about food and her relationship with food and, you know, what it's like, you, you know, uh, the culture of food in, in the household of a person of color, and then moving from there into, into universe, into a university setting where now you have a practically unlimited amount of food, Americanized food, food that's not prepared by, by mama anymore or Papa anymore, but food that's kind of sort of, uh, uh, Cookie cutter, I guess, of Americanized styles of food. And what this does to the sort of mindset of a person of color entering a university setting when you go to your dining hall and you don't see a you don't see a piece of food from where your family's from. So if I go to, you know, like I saw so, so if I go to my university uh, you know, dining hall and I see pizza and burgers and ice cream and all this other kind of stuff but I don't see rice, I don't see curry, I don't see, you know, uh, 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 like roti or something like that, it makes me, it, it contributes to the feeling of being isolated, where not only you as a person of color, are there less people that look like you, but there's also no food that you're used to either. And this is sometimes compounded by the fact that your department or your lab has lunch every week where they have like these entire spreads of food that cost hundreds of dollars. And then all this food often going to waste when it's not eating. So the focus of this episode is going to be what it's, uh, what is uh, our relationship with food as people of color and how, how how have we adapted to a university setting uh, where there's a practically unlimited number of food, a limited amount of food, um, less so ethnic food that we're used to. So Tintin, why don't you let me know um, what is your relationship with food and what is your family's relationship with food? And how has this experience sort of informed your informed your thinking about food in a university setting or in a more professional setting?
1: Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, food is – I have a very – interesting, but weird relationship with food, I would say. Um, I know, like, growing up, I think that every, you know, every person of color can attest to this, where, you know, like, having um, food that came from a different culture, like, that was weird, right? Like, growing up um, in grade school, where, you know, you go to school, and if you brought, like, you know, something that your mom packed, and uh, you brought it, and it was, like, really strange to all those elementary school kids, you know, it, would be, it wouldn't be cool, it wouldn't be weird, or it would be weird. Mm-hmm. But then, um, you know, as you grow into, like, middle school, more high school so, like, I felt, I don't know why it changed in a way, but it was just, like, food was, like, ethnic food was something that, like, people thought was, like, kind of cool um, as you grew older, and I'm not sure where that shift really came. Um, and then, um, yeah, but it was just, like, growing up, it was just always – it was always something that made you very different alongside like your looks and everything else. Um, And then um, in college, but it was something that I never really learned to appreciate until it was like college and grad school, where honestly, like, food was something that I definitely took for granted growing up. Um, Food was something that, you know, was always around. And My parents always made sure, I had the privilege of always having food around, you know, growing up. And um, it wasn't until like college and grad school where food was so limited, like we have such low stipends, we're making so little money that it was something that it was a privilege to have. And um, yeah, and so it wasn't until that time that I really learned to appreciate, you know, the food that my family provided. Um, And then I know I told you this uh, story uh, back when we last talked, but um, food was something that my parents, uh, they never really had um, when they grew up. And so it was something that they wanted to gift to my my sister and I. Um, And so it was my parents both grew up really poor and um, they actually lived through the Vietnam War and they're both immigrants. My dad's a refugee. And so food was something that was really hard to come by. Um, and so because of that, they always tried to provide um, for us.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think like in America, you know, there's like an overabundance of everything. Yeah. There's like, you know, you go to McDonald's, they got supersize. It's not something you can get everywhere. It's a uniquely American Everything is so big, so filled with like fat and carbs and the same basic ingredients. I mean, the primary like uh, uh, sort of um, food products that are purchased by the average American consumer are meat and potatoes for burgers and fries. Uh Like no joke. And so uh, these and, and so the American like diet, the American diet is very extra more so than if you go to Europe or Southeast Asia or anywhere else not anywhere but like Europe or or Asia or these other parts of the world they have a different relationship with food where you know the portions are smaller there's there's less meat maybe focused on carbs and rice things are locally grown uh where where you know in some of the in some parts of the world like in those bordering nations around like you know, China and India, like so, like Nepal or like, or, or, um, but, but, but uh, villages like uh, near and around Nepal, like that part of the world has on average some of the longest lifespans. People mm-hmm. are living in, in well into their hundreds, 105, 106 years old. While at the same time, you go to these communities, they're not rich, they're not, they don't live in big, expensive skyscrapers, they live in small villages with their family. And if you look at their diet, their diet is also small. They just have a little bit of meat, a little bit of rice, mostly vegetables, yeah. and they go on to live these long, healthy lives. So, you know, when you describe your, your you know, your, your your, your, dad being a refugee in the Vietnam War, could you expand on that a little bit on the types of food he ate? Uh, uh, and, and what were the circumstances for that food? Uh, was it like, what was his diet like as, as a refugee? and uh how is this um sort of um uh, what h- how does this differ from say the average meal you can get today uh around wherever you're from and can you describe the kinds of meals that he had as a refugee and maybe how this inspired his food culture
1: yeah of course um so my dad he he fought in the war um, in the Navy on the South Vietnam side. And then um, after the fall of Saigon and um, the northern Vietnam took over, um, he actually ended up being forced into a reeducation education camp. Um, and he was in there. I think he told me he had two times where he was in there. I think one was like three years and then one time was for two years and he always told me these, um, like horror stories of what little food he ate, um, just the circumstances. Um, and he, he was saying how with food they were given like a ration, an amount of, a small amount of food. And it was like a small amount of rice. And he would tell me about how he, um, these, this rice was like full of worms all the time. I don't know if they added it on purpose or it was just in the rice, but he had to add water to be able to remove this, uh, the worms and then eat the rice. Um, and so it was just very awful conditions. He also told me about how they would like um, set out traps to, to get some of the animals for food. Um, Cause they did have to work. They did a lot of manual labor outside. Um, And so they would have the time to be able to trap animals. And then um, he also told me like, I mean, this has nothing to do with food, but just like the awful conditions of like, you know, you would have like limited amount of water to shower uh, and you know like they would give you like three buckets every few days and they would count it for you and if you went out of turn you wouldn't be able to finish your shower so like stuff like mm. that mm. but anyways um it was also so my family also grew up very poor during the war and it was when my dad learned how to garden he taught himself he read some books and that was how he learned how to garden and um, i think right now even as we're um uh, or after he moved to America he was able to you know bring that those gardening skills with him and so it's it's um it's really lovely here because now he's you know he's growing all the vegetables growing like cucumbers and these nice gourds and eggplant and all this for our garden and then my mom will he'll just bring them in and then my mom will cook us like nice meals from that and it's it's something that's I definitely took for granted and it's something that's so wonderful but it was bred from something that was like so like traumatic you know um but yeah so I think that from having these experiment experiences of like starving um And not having food, it was like something that influenced his way of uh, uh, bringing us up, where you know everything had to be abundant in food. Um, So yeah.
0: (laughs) And what do you mean by by taken for granted? Was there a moment where you uh, had, where you realized uh, that you should have appreciation for this food? Like, did you show up one day on campus and? see that there weren't any fresh cucumbers or or freshly gardened vegetables around that made you realize, that made you appreciate this this home-cooked food more. Uh, What was the moment you realized that you perhaps were taking it for granted? And what were the steps you took to uh, remedy that?
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a good question. So I don't know the exact moment, but I would say definitely during during college um and grad school like not having that much food I definitely appreciated it a lot more but even a little bit earlier on too where I would you know be over at some friends houses and it was interesting just kind of seeing um like parents who you know they did make a lot of money but they really didn't really put that much love in like creating like the meal and like making sure that like my friends were just very full in abundance of food where um yeah, it wasn't like I didn't, they didn't have that same relationship with food. And it didn't have to do anything with money, I don't think. And so it was during that time that I was like, wow, my mom like puts so much love, my dad puts so much love in the garden. And like, this is something that I should really appreciate. Um, so I guess it was like earlier on. Um, but then it like amplified <laughs> more so when I was a little bit more hungry. <laughs>
0: Uh I got you. So are you saying that like the 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 I guess the school setting like the food wasn't abundant? Is it-
1: yeah, I would say more so in um well the thing was with undergrad we were really priv- privileged in that we had a meal plan and so you could use those those meals to um to um so actually it was in undergrad where it, like it felt like if you still had meals on your card, like you're fine, but I guess it was grad school. Um, you know, we had such a small stipend. Um, I think we were paid, Master students were paid 13 K a year and, um, PhDs I think is like 20 K. And so, um, food wasn't something that you would always prioritize if like you had to like make rent and you had to pay for car insurance, you had to pay for gas, you know? And so I would say that in grad school setting, um, there wasn't an abundance in food at all
0: mm. what, would you say that the meal cards like the meal plan was like sufficient for to like feed you every week or was it like was there always a did you always feel like there was a shortage like on the meal plan bucks because I know like for me that was happening for me mm-hmm. like i every every semester like the last four weeks I' would run out of meal plan bucks. Yeah, and <laughs> and I would always have to buy more and more, and and this was like, uh, you know, the sort of premium plan, I guess. And I'm like, yeah. this isn't enough to 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 feed me. Like my mom would would stuff my face with food all the time and make me clean the plate, uh even when I was full. But now I keep running out of meal money. So would you say that um that you had some like uh, some dissonance there? Like, what did the meal plan like? Uh, measure up to your appetite yeah
1: well um i i would say for undergrad yes but also i don't really eat too much i feel like especially like when I'm stressed. So I guess that kind of helped. But I would say, I would say if I budgeted from the beginning of the semester, it would be okay. Um, Because we had something there, it was like meals, but then it was also points. And so points got you like the good stuff. Like it got you like the really (laughs) good meals. And so if you use your meals at the right locations and your points to splurge, I think that you would have to like learn how to stretch out that meal plan. Um, and also, I I know that like some friends they would cook at home as well, and so some friends would have like leftover points and meals. Um, but I know I know that that might be different at different schools. But I think my school did did an okay job. <laughs> I think. Mm. Yeah. You know.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about like how food on campus or in your program can be used to help make minorities feel more welcomed and feel more integrated, because oftentimes like. Um, when the food isn't done right on campus <laughs> yeah. like you know to 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 the average sort of college you know uh non-ethnic college person you know let's say the white male middle class student who who comes through on you know um i don't know uh asian flair night at 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 the yeah. on, on, on on campus and gets some like uh, some general soul's chicken or something it's like the best thing they ever had and this is this is what they associate with 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 Chinese food or with General mm-hmm. Souls that this is this is how it tastes, this is what it looks like, and this is what I'm used to. But then I don't know uh, the the person the exchange student from China comes through and tries it, and he's like, "What is this garbage? This is not this is not how General Souls is done." So you know, I, I, I know that like whenever like I would have so my family's like we're we're from Trinidad and Guyana in the Caribbean, but even in the Caribbean, you, there's Indian food there uh you know roti and curry and all this other kind of spicy stuff uh first of all like i never seen you no know, college campus has served caribbean food before oh. they definitely just serve indian food but even when i would have that it would be like so plain oh. and so like bare so sterile you know like yeah. really bare bones
1: mm-hmm.
0: where it's like it's unrecognizable for me, at least. So, you know, how my question to you is like, how can we how can uh, college campuses like uh, help minorities feel more welcome and integrated with their food? Uh, yes, they have like certain Asian flair or Italian nights on campus. But I, I feel like that that's not enough. Like the food is still like lacking a lot. So do you feel like the ethnic food on campus is done right it uh, that it does it justice and uh, uh yes or no, and you can expand you could expand on that do you, do you think the food is done right i think food is done right on campus
1: i would definitely say no um i remember um during grad school um they had like a fa um dish and I think it was just like my friends and I were just joking about it because we were so excited for it but um it was just like noodles and water (laughs) and I was like my mom would be so disappointed um but yeah and so it was like you know sometimes I don't yeah sometimes I would just like really miss home and then I would just go to like a Vietnamese restaurant um in in Orlando because that's where I went to grad school and I would just have like a bowl of pho um yeah, I don't yeah, I don't think schools I would say that they're not doing enough. I'm not sure how you would be able to integrate it to be able to like feed so many more students. I'm not sure if there's a way to like and I don't know like financially how they would be able to like connect with other like local businesses and be able to support those businesses. Um I think yeah, I'm not sure yeah, I'm not sure how schools would do that. I just know that like when my Friends and I, because like I was friends with like a lot of the international students as well. And the way I guess like the school didn't support that, so because of that, we kind of just like helped support each other. Where like you know, one person would have like one of my friends, he used to have a bunch of people over and he would cook a night of like curry. And then for me, like, I remember I made pho for my friends. And so it was just this really tight-knit grip group where we were able to, like, share our foods together. Um, and I guess that's because we weren't really able to do that, like, at our school, at, at, in grad school. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think, like, what was so jarring for me was, like, seeing, was definitely seeing the abundance of, of food, at least for me, like... I, so I didn't, I didn't grow up that rich. Like my, so I grew up with a single mother and she, and food was, was like, man, now that I think about it, like food was so sparse, you know, like it was, you know, when you're, when we're out grocery shopping, the experience of grocery shopping with my mom as a kid versus now as an adult, as an independent adult are two different experiences. And my, my experience as an adult is probably what most people think of when they grocery shop. They go there and they just get whatever they want and then they go home. Mm-hmm. But my experience shopping as a kid was really like penny pinching yeah. the entire grocery cart. Because before my mom would leave for the grocery store, she would like take those little mailers that we get in the mail yeah. and and cut out all the coupons for My
1: Mom did that too. <laughs> yeah.
0: She was a coupon clipper. Yeah, And I'd see her like on like in the on the like the kitchen table with these stacks of like, you know, paper mache, you know, ShopRite uh magazines cutting out coupons for, you know, cereal and milk and all these different things, 50 cents here, 25 cents there, $1 there, buy one get one free here. And and she would go to the store with that. And she would in our experience like shopping not only was like penny pinching, but also like doing the math as you go to mm-hmm. make sure you're you're in budget. And there's I, I realize like when you're like low on money, you really think of creative ideas to save money, whether it's like penny whether it's coupon picking or doing the math, but also like getting the the, the shop right brand of cereal. Yeah. Or get or, or the right band of whatever, milk and butter, they're always like 50 cents less, a dollar less, and all this stuff really adds up. And then this is what comprises your diet. And I remember like, you know, me being this bratty kid, always wanting like the sweet stuff and the candy and the desserts. I never got to have because none of this stuff was considered, I guess, essential food, mm-hmm. right? food mm-hmm. Food that I need to like live instead of like a kid who just wants to eat junk food. So now I can have all the junk food I want. Uh, But, you know, back then it's like money is so sparse that your diet reflects that um, uh, 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 scarcity where you're eating, you know, plain rice with like some chicken or like, you know, mostly vegetables, things from directly from the coupon. And I think this relationship with food uh, really as soon as I got to college you know, like, I don't know, like, so my mom, like, she, she she grew up really poor as well. And even like the chicken, like she would get for us, like, she would inspect it to make yes. sure we got like, all of the meat off the bone, mm-hmm. before she let us throw it away. Because and she wouldn't let us like leave the table until the plate was clean. yeah, Because she yeah, because <laughs> she knew that like, yo bro, this is expensive. You better eat this better eat this right now.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: it sounds like you, you had something similar.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think this was, I, I, I guess this is maybe common, uh, folklore maybe, but I know that like one thing my mom always said was like, she, she would definitely not leave, let me leave the table once I finished things. And I remember she said that for every grain of rice that you don't eat, it's going to be a maggot that you eat in hell.
0: What? What?
1: Some sort of folklore, because I I forgot what book I was (laughs) reading. And I thought that was only something that, like, my mom ever told me. Um, But then I forgot what book I was reading. Um, It was, like, a memoir. And uh, and it was written by a Vietnamese author. And he was saying how his mom told him that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, maybe this is, like, common folklore. But, yeah. So it was, like, something like that, like, scaring kids to, like, always eat everything. Because every grain of rice is, like, worth it. (laughs) Um, But, yeah. So going back to your story of, like – You know the grocery store and what your mom used to do to like survive like yeah my mom like she she always cut out those little coupons as well and also like she knew which stores not to shop at because you know you could save a few cents on like this produce if you went here and so she like she like memorized all the prices of like every location (laughs) and like knew what place had the sales um but it was really interesting because I like I maybe it was more, you know, apparent when you grew up. But I know that for me, like it was something that, you know, I knew she did these things and I thought it was normal, but I didn't realize that, like, um I guess I was just like very naive and I just didn't realize that. Like, I thought this is what everyone did. Like, this is what everyone's parents did,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you
1: know? And so like growing up now, like looking back, you know, you kind of. You kind of feel that, and you know, you find you kind of feel guilty in a way too, um, but you're very thankful. Um, So yeah,
0: yeah, and it's like, like she had so many coupons that when we get to the cashier, the cashier would give us weird looks. Yeah, and like it got to a point where she was using the maximum amount of coupons you can use at one time, and even then, she would like hack the system and say, "Okay, I'll pay for half the groceries with." these set of coupons i'll pay for that and then start over and then i'll pay for the other half and use the other half of yeah, the coupon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you know i think like um you know i mean i i definitely uh, learned to appreciate uh, even now like when i eat a plate of food and i know i'm not going to finish it i can hear my mom's voice in my head saying finish your food finish your food like she's somewhere nearby if she sees me like not finishing this plate even though she's not he- around um <laughs> she would still find a way to get me for it but yeah. you know, she would she, she would tell me like okay for everything you don't eat you know there's like a starving kid somewhere in the world who yeah. would like kill to have this little piece of like vegetable here so you better eat it and then she would just put me on this guilt trip this crazy uh, guilt trip yeah. and yeah, like she,
1: or the maggots. I don't know which one's better. Uh, uh,
0: you know, <laughs> they, they do whatever they have to do to like get that plate clean. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I don't know. Th- so this relationship with food, you know, I, I, I also thought this was normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like I, you know, I couldn't get all the really like premium items on the shelf, you know, because like, I guess we couldn't afford it, and you know, I I couldn't get these desserts that I want because I guess they were not considered essential for the family, and 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 you know, it wasn't until you know, and oh man, and even when I would go to school, first of all, like I went to New York City Public School, and we would rely on the free lunch that we would get mm-hmm. uh, going to school, and of the cost of free lunch is kind of crappy, but whatever, like it's what you got. And I'd often be the only kid at the table, like actually eating the free lunch, and everyone else would have like their little lunch boxes of food yeah. that they prepared at home, and they would have like food that that their parents made or or some or something else, some like you know prepackaged thing, Lunchables. I thought that was like the biggest deal back then. Yeah. Lunchables were like, yo, like the, if you if you were the kid at the table with Lunchables, you were like the coolest kid during lunchtime. <laughs> And, you know, I'd be the one eating the public the 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 public school food. And and like anytime I would see like another kid with that item in the grocery store that I wanted, like the fruit roll ups or like, I don't know, the 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 candy or something that I want and I see them bust it out, I felt so bad because I wanted it so badly at the grocery store, but we just couldn't afford it. Yeah. And but for everyone else it seems to be something so trivial that they can just get it whenever they want and just bring it to lunch and it's no big deal. And this is, this is, as I got older, this is when I started to realize like, wow, you know, this, this is like socioeconomic disparity going on right here, right here at the lunch table is a little microcosm of, Mm. uh, it's a little microcosm of, you know, food disparity right there. And, um, wow. And, and I'm just realizing this now, but, um, and, you know, once I got to college, it was like a food everywhere, all the time, unlimited, all you want. And that was like a big, um, real, that was like a kind of a jaw job moment for me that there was all this food all the time and I can eat whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and it definitely had that freshman fifteen follow up. So uh, yeah, you know I got really it happens fat. to everyone. I got a big bone from that. But uh, so can can you talk a little bit about um you know uh w- w- when so when you when you when you got to campus and and you saw you know all this food? Do you did you ever feel like um I mean so so how's how's your how's your relationship with food now? Like as an adult who can, you know, buy all the food you want. Do you find yourself like adhering to those old school practices back home? Uh, where, you know, do you have your own garden? Do you get your own, you know, vegetables and cucumbers or are, have you sort of adopted a, a sort of different kind of Americanized diet and um, or have you adhered to like your old school diet from when you were, from when you were back home?
1: Yeah, um, so my relationship with food right now—it's—it's it's interesting because you're asking me right after grad school, so it was like after learning how to budget and like, you know, just being really like, um, good with like keeping leftovers and stuff. But right now, I mean, right now I would say you know after graduating, I still I'm still scraping for money just because I'm in that weird in between phase. It's currently kind of like Corona right now, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm actually working. I actually just landed a position, um, as adjunct, um, which I'm not going to start until January, which I'm really excited about. But right oh, now I'm just yes. working like, thank you. I'm just working some, um, rest, like I'm working two restaurant jobs right now and I'm doing just like some freelancing. Um, but it's actually still not making a lot of money. And so right now I'm actually, I'm still, I'm still in that scraping phase. Um, still, uh, you know, going to the right stores to buy the cheap food um so i would say right now even though i am an adult like (laughs) it still carries over um but um
0: well well, what can can you expand on like let's say you know let's say uh it's you and then some like some peer who grew up like really really rich and like never had to worry about food but then all of a sudden you know, is in a position where they have to start worrying about food, right? So could you describe like, what could you describe like, not skills, but sort of uh, penny pinching practices of, of food acquisition, that, that, (laughs) that's like a title for a paper right there. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what sort of, I guess, skills of shopping, do you think you acquired from you know, from being at home with your parents versus someone who never had to worry about food or somebody who never, um, or somebody who didn't have like a food culture, right? Like, for example, like I learned like, uh, ways to save money when I'm shopping Mm -hmm. that when I talk to my peers who never worried about food, like, oh, what, you know, you can, there's such thing as what coupons, like you can save what now? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, you know, this is what happens when you worry about it like you think of all these ideas of saving money so like Oh yeah. Yeah, so when you were like, uh are there any sort of um I guess uh sort of ways to save money on food or ways or uh, spending habits that you adopted that you still use today that maybe um your peers who weren't in in that position don't use?
1: Yeah, um I would say like knowing, let's see. So I think like the big thing is like budgeting, right? Like I feel like going, like I have had like a lot of like very wealthy friends in college who like didn't really know what budgeting was at all. Like they just like spent and spent and spent. And it was like, oh, that's because like you literally were given like a credit card and like it's bottomless, right? And so I think like budgeting, like I'm I'm such a good budgeter. <laughs> like I'm really good at that. <sighs> but also like um when you go to a grocery store, just thinking like, Um, I mean, like, back in grad school, even though, like, it was tough, like, we did have this way where, like, we had the meal plan, and as faculty, um, because we TA'd, so you had, like, the faculty plan where it's $5 a meal, um, which seems like a lot, but then it's, like, when you bring a tupperware in there it's like 250 a meal and that's like with a coffee so it's like <laughs> back in grad school or like just like you know like you go to a pizza lunch and you know there's some leftovers like everyone goes crazy for those leftovers um and, but like now that i don't have oh yeah and then there was also like Um, the school pantry, which is an incredible resource because they have this nice garden, this arboretum on campus, and they would have like fresh veggies. And so my friend and I, we would always like go there on like the day that we knew that they would have like that, that fresh delivery, you know, where they like had, you know, the fresh bread, the fresh, the fresh veggies. Um, But now I don't have that anymore because I graduated. Mm. Um, But I would say like, you know, like going to the store and, um, Knowing like that you can't buy too much of like the cheap produce because you know it'll go bad in a few days. So like, like little things like knowing to buy kale instead of spinach because kale keeps better than spinach. You know, little things like that, or like knowing like what grocery stores to go to um, because it's a lot cheaper. Like I feel like I'm like my mom now. Like I've memorized (laughs) prices of like how much an avocado is here and there and how much spinach is here and there. And we shouldn't buy this because it's cheaper there. Um, And then um, let's see, what other tactics Um, I think? Yeah. Just knowing like how to make, food like last a little bit longer
0: like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um checking the expiration date on all on the milks before you choose the bottle yeah (laughs) taking the one that's like two weeks uh younger than the other bottles so it can last longer know
1: like (laughs) what foods keep longer And like, what foods can you stretch a little bit longer? So like with a rice packet, like rice is a little bit cheaper. So you can like kind of stretch that for a few days, um, stuff like that. And then I know you asked about the garden. Um, I actually tried to do a garden in quarantine and I got like a bunch of seedlings and three snap peas, but then they all died. So I only got... Three peas to harvest this season. Uh, so I'm not well, like a dad in that in that yeah.
0: I, I can't say I have a green thumb for for gardening, unfortunately. Yeah. You know.
1: Maybe
0: one day. Maybe one day. Uh so you know, I um let, let, let's talk a little bit about um you know uh you know, let's talk a little bit about food and food and health you know and how you know people who who can't really af- afford a, a decent meal have to also have the consequences of the health effects thereafter right yeah. while though while those people and, and these people who you know can't afford to have like a, a, an organic you know first class meal uh these people have to, uh, these people are you know poor and from poor sort of Poor sort of socioeconomic uh, backgrounds, where you can only afford to eat what you can afford, yeah. and and the uh, the result is you know different he- differential health outcomes. You know, uh, prone to heart disease, uh, prone to you know high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, and you know while those individuals who uh, you know can't who who can't afford decent meals, fresh and and healthy, or even a dietitian to help you determine what to eat you know they they're 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 less prone to these to these diseases so Mm -hmm. you know okay let's talk about like um you know when when you get the campus and all of a sudden you have all this food uh you know how how your sort of food culture like reacts to that like so for me like um I remember uh you know entering campus and seeing all this food and just like mouth watering over everything seeing yes. like this buffet of food like I don't know what to eat first you're telling me like I can have more like unlimited like this is crazy and but i i'll but at the same time like I would be the one like overreact reacting to food yeah. trying not to look hungry around my peers uh peers who who this is normal for it sort of reminded me of the old days you know being back at the at the school uh, uh, lunch table all over again. But now as an adult where I can eat the same food as them, but I just look a lot hungrier and, you know, and trying to sort of take food home as well without getting, without getting, without getting weird looks. Like I remember, um, you know my mom would whatever we would go to a buffet <laughs> you know whenever you know cuz buffets you're not allowed to take the food home you know it's like but she would like sneak it away like she would like pack some chicken wings into like some napkins and put it in her purse and stuff and 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 you know I, I guess that was normal that's what you would do and then on campus there's some campus buildings that i guess don't it depends on the eatery but they don't allow you to take the food but i would anyway Uh and i'll get like weird looks like what are you like a hobo or something like Mm -hmm. taking the food to stow away Mm -hmm. so like that that was like kind of new for me where um i had to adjust to like a different kind of food culture so you know uh i guess my question to you is did you have something similar and uh or you know, if you were in charge of the campus eatery system, you know, how would you create that system so that it's equitable and inclusive of ethnic food? Um, so, because ethnic food will make people feel more inclusive and happy on campus, people who are not American. So if you were in charge of the eatery there, you know, how would you create this kind of welcoming food environment?
1: Ooh, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it is. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I think it, I think it would be great to like, be able to support. I, I, don't, know, I don't know, like financials, like how that works, but like.
0: Well, let's you pretend know, you have an unlimited amount unlimited of
1: money. Amount.
0: Well, and, and don't just say, oh, I would just hire Chef Ramsay and call it a day. No, I don't. Just, <laughs>
1: I would hire my mom. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we did have all the all the money in the world um, <laughs> for my eatery, I would I think like just like supporting like the small like mom and pops, um, like the small restaurants and maybe just like be able to you know cater to students and also like be able to support those businesses. I think that would be really great. Mm. Um, I think I, I remember like, um, in grad school, there was this one woman that I always went to, to get her pho. And, um, uh, I remember like she was, she was interested cause I speak Vietnamese as well. And so she saw my name and she was like, Oh my God, you're Vietnamese. Like the first day that I went in there, like early on in his, or uh, early on in grad school. And so I always went there um for her food i feel like just being able to like kind of be more incorporated with the community and like being able to bring in you know different cuisines from different local businesses i think that would be great um i i know like with a limited amount of like financial budget i don't know how possible that is but maybe Mm. maybe if we had all the money in the world um yeah i think that would be great i know that like um I know that in um, at my undergrad, um, there were like definitely so many cultural events. So my undergrad was like a private university. So they had a little bit more money and like the population was smaller. And so they were able to like, I don't think, yeah, they, they they had a bigger budget. And so I know they had like a lot of cultural events where they like had those catering events to bring in, you know, different types of food and that was wonderful because everyone like flocked to those events um so having more of those I think um I think would be really incredible um yeah I'm trying to think um I think that like also like If there's free food, like any grad student will go there, and just know this. And so, like, if you want someone, oh, it gets
0: around, you know. Like, (laughs) it's like people have like email chains of of you know where food food in three twenty two. Get it now, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Or like group group chats where where all the free food's at.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there was this one. uh event at my grad school where they um they had like an event just for like grad students, just to, like a get together like each month and it was to also promote like the events that they had as well. And I remember like we would always just like look at the calendar and like we would be the only ones there. But <laughs> we would go there and just, you know, have like all the breakfast bagels and the coffee and it was really incredible. <laughs> That's honestly, like we were sold, and so, yeah, I think that just incorporating events with lots of ethnic food would be incredible, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, i think i I definitely think that this is a very sort of interesting space to uh make campuses more uh diverse and inclusive is mm-hmm. is through cultural integration, like through food oh, yeah. and you know, and through music and through performing arts, but definitely through food. Uh, because I feel like, you know, if we sort of try each other's meals, we we in a way have the same experience with each other. Like you may not have been to where I'm from or have been to my neighborhood, but here's the food from my this is what we eat. And in that way you can you can experience what I what I experience and taste and we can have a conversation about it. Is it spicy? Is it salty? How does it compare to other other meals you have eaten as an American or as a foreigner or whatever? and i feel i feel like this is a way for these communities to break bread is through sharing of meals or ha- or having a you know a potluck or really authentic um ethnic dishes
1: yeah uh, yeah and i think it's it's interesting because i think yeah so for me like i love like sharing my different foods and stuff but i remember um back in high school i remember i actually like dated this one guy who he like you know, he would, like, try these Vietnamese foods and then, like, he felt like he could totally understand the culture. And I remember, like, there are some people who, like, they'll, like, try pho once and then they think they can just, like, explain, like, the Vietnamese culture to me. Like, I've definitely had that. So it's this, like, weird line where it's, like, I want to share it with people so that we can have an understanding and, like, see where you came from and all that. But then it's also, like, but also don't try to explain my culture to me just because you tried, like, one dish. I think it's a, a very interesting line yeah I don't know whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: what is what, what, what is that line like is, like a, is know. there like some cultural appropriation going on or something where uh, like they they try your dish and all of a sudden they they, they think they know about you like well, yeah they, they expand on that a little bit
1: yeah yeah it's int- it's so it's a tough subject because I feel like there's so many like nuances in it but I remember um a very I remember very distinctly Um, it was at this gathering, and this one kid. You know, we started talking, and then he was like, "Oh, you're Vietnamese," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm Vietnamese." And then he was just like, just like explaining, like he, I think he went to Vietnam once, and Mm -hmm. then he was like explaining like all these like different foods, and he was like, "Yeah," and like, let me tell you about this and this, and I was like, I don't like maybe like you might have like been in Vietnam, but like. I all, yeah, I feel like it's like weird cuz you want them to appreciate your food but also you don't want it to just diminish a culture. Just mm. to their food because like there's a lot of like history in that food, right? Mm-hmm. There's like like I mean there's just so many like influences that you know the Vietnamese food has due to like colonialism, c- c- colonialism. Oh, and-
0: let's get let's let's do it. Let's get into that. You know the, the history of food. The history let's, of call food. It, let's call it food trafficking. Oh, oh I, god! I I wrote that down in my notes, but I'm oh like, wait, god. what did I mean by that? <laughs> but now I understand.
1: Yeah. So food. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm like I want everyone to appreciate the food, but I also don't want them to think that like the culture is just food because there is like a lot of trauma and a lot of like history behind this food. Uh, I don't know. I want you to appreciate it. But, uh. <laughs> well,
0: you know, let's 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 think about it like from a historical perspective because yeah. like let, let's live, let's think of like an an example like. The, the East Indian Trading Company, you know, this this was a this was a British, a private British company that, you know, transported spices from India to different parts of the world because, you know, the British, they, their food ain't that good. And so they and so they got to go and get it from somewhere else. You know, what I mean, like where all, where all the spices are at. And so they got it. So the East India Trading Company. This company was so big. They, they were back then they were like the Amazon of, you know, the 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 the, the 1760s
1: mm-hmm.
0: where mm-hmm. they they were like a country themselves in their in their economic impact and their sort of infrastructure was also so invasive and oppressive so that they can get these spices. They were, in a way, colonizers in themselves because they would they would go to these foreign countries and use the population to, which is cheap labor, to get these to get these spices and would establish like you know trade routes by underpaying the the, the natives in order to get these spices and sell them back home as as these exotic foods you know from like a foreign land, and so. You know I think like when food that that travels from one place through another through a route that like that that's that's so oppressive and and wrong I think is is not is not the way to go about it right so when when somebody like if it when somebody like that comes to you and tells you that this meal is is delicious but the means in which they got it was like illeg- illegitimate I think you, you're on fair grounds for saying yo bro you'll know what you're saying Um, but if it's through you know a more mutual breaking of bread I think that's fair
1: exactly it's so tough because I'm yeah I feel like yeah I don't know I feel like there's just so much that you have to consider right like what are what is this person's like intentions like if they're just trying to explain your culture to you just because they try to dish you're like no like that's so (laughs) and it's like if they're appreciating too it's like you want them to appreciate it and that's like like something that you want to like like share that experience as well. So it's, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's very, it's very interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, even today, like this type of food trafficking, you know, still happens like a banana has to be picked picked green in guatemala and shipped to new york before it turns brown and you know the technology of food trafficking as well so the enzymes don't pass from like one banana to another so they all don't spoil this entire industry behind this stuff but (laughs) but i think i i think like this it was it was a very interesting um you know perspective on the value of food and that's the whole theme of this episode is the value of food and the culture of food and how transitioning from one you know home environment to a university environment and how this and how the sort of inter how how our relationship with food differs from one place to another and and how it relates to our peers and socioeconomic status really you know again just like looking at the looking at the lunchroom table and seeing what everybody brings i think is a snapshot of where everyone is from what they can afford and um and you know what they're used to mm-hmm. and i think that that this experience ca- you carry with you know your whole life
1: yeah so i guess like the more i talk about this like one thing that i just keep thinking about is like i think everyone has like their different experiences of like realizing like you know like that you know they might be different or like they didn't really see or like they were very naive and then they experienced something very like a slap in the face moment that, you know, kind of changed the reality in a way. And I know that like, so, um, so I feel like I grew up like very taking for granted food, right? Like, just like always having it on the table, but like not really understanding what needed to happen to have that food. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't until like, you know i did my undergrad i graduated with my bachelor's that i had this uh one month that i had before going to grad school and um and what happened was i my my mom was like oh like there's an opening at um my job so she works at a factory and there's an opening at my job um as a receptionist um like why don't you stop by and just work for a month, make some extra money, spend some time with me before you leave. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Like I do uh. have money to like move, whatever. And then I remember that when I went to the job, um, my mom or the the woman was like, Oh, sorry. Like that job's already been taken, but you can work as like a work, like a factory worker for like a month. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. And then it was, like, it was this crazy moment. I remember the first day, I can remember very distinctly, like, just walking into that factory. And, like, it was just not what I imagined it, like, growing up, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it was just like, there were no windows. Like, everything was so uh. gray. And, like, it was just this, like, crazy moment where it was just like, this is like what she did for the food, you know? And mm-hmm. it was just really crazy. Yeah. It was just, it was just a very slap in the, Face moment, mm. and so when I talk about food, it's just like this thing of privilege that I had, but there's like guilt, you know.
0: Mm. So, yeah. wow, and, and, <laughs> and that, that that's an amazing story. uh That you know, when you peek behind the curtain and see what it takes to get to the get the food to the table,
1: yeah. as
0: as you know, immigrants in this country. You realize, and you know, this is this is this is this is that's the point of this podcast is for stories like that too, where mm-hmm. you know people don't realize that you know, as an immigrant in this country, somebody who who comes here and like they may not have you know they may not have a the back a, a background that allows them to live an affluent lifestyle. Uh, anything less, but immigrants who, who come through who maybe in their country was a doctor, but now here. They're not because of the laws mm-hmm. that, that it prohibit them from doing so. They have to work some whatever job just to get by. You know, the these are the kinds of values that I think um, embody, you know, greatness, right? That you're able to uh, build character through these experiences and all for a delicious plate yeah. of food. Something that we do indeed take for granted. Yeah. So that's a beautiful story uh, thank yeah, for you for sharing that. uh how do people get in touch with you over twitter
1: yeah um so i I do have a twitter um it's contain so T H I E N T H A N H and t r i n h so just my name um yeah so right now i um I am working on some writing um actually just like the story that I just told you i'm thinking about writing it up and trying to to yeah, talk about these things that I'm like still, you know, thinking about a lot. Um, and so I don't have a plug for those yet, but still in the works. Um, but yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Are you trying to publish on that or,
1: or something No, like because um, so there was one piece of writing that I wrote. Um, it's with the asylum that I uh, wrote like a few months ago and it was just about like language barriers that you know I have with my parents and how like communicating my science is so much easier to you know a group of kids than like to my parents and so I, I published <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, I published that um, with the Xylem and it's on my Twitter but um, I don't know like if it's like something I want to publish or it's like a blog and I yeah I don't I'm not sure what the purpose is yet. Yeah. So I'm still like figuring that out.
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, that sounds like a, a thing, I'll something i will love to read, honestly. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds like you're very good at, at putting these ideas together. These like weird, not weird, but like these intersections of, you know, uh, 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 these intersections of like uh, the, the of, of money and food and privilege and the communication in ways that, I definitely don't think about these days anymore. Mm Uh, but I really, really should, you know, I, I sort of got all these, I, I got like all these ideas out, you know, during my personal statements to university and to grad school and stuff like, and it's all down on paper, but you know, and I'm always thinking about these things, but I, but I never, you know, these days I, I just don't, I just don't ruminate on them as much as I should. Um, and i feel like you know we really need that you know somebody to 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 write these things up in, in a really relatable and easy understanding way and you know the whole food story i thought was like a, an example of that i'm so happy that you shared it
1: thank you yeah i think it's like it's tough right because I feel like when you revisit these things like you have to be really raw and you have to be ready for your emotions and that's just <sighs> tough you know like uh, I feel like just I remember like just starting grad school after that factory experience and I just remember like just really feeling that emotion and then like just having to be like okay let me just put on my armor so I can like get through this and like I don't want to be raw yet so like let me just not think about it you know but sometimes you just like have to and just like process those emotions you know
0: yeah you know and and that's that's like one thing about this podcast that's really great is that this is a place to do to do that uh it's something you can't really get a message across over slack or over text or even amongst you know a group of scientists that that you work with every single day um you know this this podcast is meant to be a space for that so i'm so glad that you that you shared it if at any point you have another cool story like that, that you want to share, you're more than welcome to come back. I'm happy to do this again sometime.
1: Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. This was fun.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad to have it. Let's, let's keep in touch.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
0: Okay. Talk soon. Right. Bye. Talk you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Dots Science and Social Justice. I'm having a lot of fun with this podcast. So if you can, Give it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, if it's iTunes or Castbox or Spotify. I think they do ratings as well. Uh, if you want to be a guest on a future episode, email deepthoughtsinterview at gmail.com and I'll be happy to have you on. If you have a cool or interesting story that's unique to you about your circumstances, I would love to hear it. In the meantime, follow the podcast on Instagram, Deep Thoughts Podcast on Instagram. That's Deep underscore thoughts underscore podcast on Instagram. I post every single day on there. Be sure to follow to keep up with all the updates. We have singers, songwriters, scientists, and public servants coming up in future episodes, activists as well, so be sure to stay tuned.